Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to see you guys. I don't know how it works in your family, but my kids, at least for us, create Christmas lists. And uh, our oldest daughter is 18 years old. She's a senior in high school this year. Actually emailed her list to us item by item by item, which was kind of an interesting deal. Uh, and it's really brilliant if you think about it, because grandparents are coming and going, hey, what can we get from Morgan? And we're just like forwarding emails and offloading her list and just throwing that out there. But, um, but it was kind of funny because I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working away and I get bing and I get this email from Morgan Hendricks, and that's weird because she doesn't email. She has an email address, but email for 18-year-olds is like eight-track cassette tapes. I mean, it's, they don't use it. They use Twitter, they use Facebook, they text message. So I get this email from her, and I think, wow, this is, you know, kind of unusual, and it says in the subject line, isn't this cute? And then I open the email, and there's just this little link. There's no words, just a link. And I've gotten emails like this in the, in the past, and it's not been from the person that I thought was sending it. And it isn't always cute. And so I texted her and I said, look, you know, did you send me an email? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. So I opened it up and it was like a $20 purse or something. And it was cute. <laughs> so I think, all right, you know, I go back to work, bing, another email, another cute purse. Bing, another email, another cute purse. Bing, another email, four cute purses. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, now I'm getting confused. I mean, does she want four purses? Are purses like shoes with women? Is that the way that works? Like you can't ever have enough? So I'm thinking, does she want four purses? Does she want one of these four purses? Bing, another email. I'm thinking purse, no, cute shoes. Bing, cute shoes. Bing, piece of clothing. Cute, 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 cute. I get another email, and it's an Apple laptop computer. Saving the best for last. So now I'm thinking, all right, Apple laptop computer, cute purse. I mean, it's cute, right? The purse. How about Apple laptop computer, two cute purses? How about we go all in? Apple laptop computer, four cute purses, two cute pairs of shoes, and three or four cute articles of clothing, and I still save $750. So who knows what she's going to get tomorrow, but I would suspect that it'll be cute. Um, (laughs) The money is on cute. My 13-year-old this year in a rather unusual and somewhat intriguing and kind of risky move on her part gave us no list, nothing, zero. And so, you know, we went to her and said, well, honey, uh, is there anything that you would like to have for Christmas? You know, because we know Santa personally. We can help make things happen. And, uh, you know, particularly if they're cute. And... And she's like, no, not really. I said, well, is there anything you need? No, no. I said, well, you know, you're really good at this, and you're kind of into this, and you're really good at this. So there's these big, broad categories. Surely there's something, anything. Help us out here. Not really, Dad. So now I'm thinking to myself, well, it all comes out of one bucket, and the computer price just went down, didn't it? Just kidding. But who knows what the 13-year-old's going to get? My 10-year-old son actually wrote out his list. And then he hired a marching band and he walked into the kitchen with the band very ceremoniously when we were in there. And then he spent 40 minutes trying to clear a spot big enough for this piece of paper on our refrigerator and magnets all over the place and pictures falling. And, and he posted this on the refrigerator for us. And so I'm going to read it to you. This is TJ's Christmas list. The first one I am highly sympathetic to. If you are a man and you've been to Brookstone and you've seen this thing, you know what I mean. 
Number one on the list, the air drone flyer from the Brookstone store. This is like a hovercraft, and short of the military, you are not going to find something cooler than this. It's awesome, but it requires number two, which for me might be a deal killer, because you need an iPad mini to control it. So like, I was like, you know, I don't know. Number three, the Nerf and Strike Elite Hailfire Nerf Gun. If you've not seen this, you can go online and watch the video. This thing shoots a Nerf gun bullet 75 feet. Imagine that. It comes out of the gun eight times faster than a striking cobra. How they figured that out? I have no idea. (laughs) All I know is he already has seven Nerf guns. Now this is, I guess he's looking for number eight. And number four here, which will be number nine Nerf gun, because now he wants the Nerf Vortex Pyrogun Nerf gun. So how many Nerf guns do you need? Number five, an Xbox. Then he puts in parentheses, which I'm probably not going to get. And I said, TJ, why, why do you think that, you know, like you wouldn't get that? And he said, because you're my parents. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're right. You're not going to get that. <laughs> number six, the movie Avengers. Everybody love Avengers. I, I'm into that. I'm feeling good about number six. Number seven, extra Nerf elite bullets because he's confident on number three. <laughs> number eight, the oddest request in the list. He says that he wants a bigger brain. What do you do with that? I, I went to him and I said, I, maybe we need to talk about your brilliant brain. You know, I, I mean, you're really a good student. You memorize things like I'm so incredibly jealous. You, you play the piano. You're good at sports. You're a great artist. Like what is wrong with your brain? And what it boils down to is he is in fourth grade and he hates homework, hates it, and thinks that if he has a bigger brain, he'll get it done more quickly. Which I told him, look, if you would just focus, you could get done in two minutes what it takes you now two hours to do. And he said, yeah, but dad, if I had a bigger brain and focused for two minutes. (laughs) I think his brain's pretty big. Number nine, a massage chair. (laughs) Really? Number 10, if I get the iPad mini... An iTunes gift card. Number 11, the Heroes of Olympus book series. Number 12, the Nerf and Strike Elite Rampage Nerf Gun. Number 13, basically anything that I like except for socks. So no socks this year. 14, Lego Monster Fighters Castle. 15, the Lego Hobbit Caves. 16, extra green Nerf discs for one of the aforementioned three guns. And then he says, I gave you a lot of stuff to choose from, which I appreciate. And he did. But here's the thing about Christmas. You can make your list, but you don't really know what you're going to get until it arrives, do you? Until that which has been hidden is finally revealed. And here's the other thing that I've learned about Christmas. And I I know that my upbringing was a little bit idyllic. I recognize it now. At the time, I didn't. But what I realized about Christmas, or at least was true for me, is Christmas always beat my expectations, always. In other words, every year, I gave them my list, and I got things that were not on my list, but that were so much better than the things that were on my list. It's uncanny. It's like my parents actually knew better than I did. Number one, what I most needed. Number two, what would most thrill my heart. And here's what I want you to walk out tonight knowing, that your Heavenly Father knows that about you as well. He knows what you, He knows what I most need. And you know what else? He made your heart. 
So who better than to know what will most thrill it? And here's the thing. In his goodness, in his grace, in his kindness, in his mercy, even if that's not on your list, that is exactly who and what he gives you in Jesus Christ. If you've been following along with us this Christmas season, you know that we've been kind of traveling through the Christmas narrative together, and you know, of course, that by now God has chosen the Virgin Mary to be the mother of His Son, which, if you think about it, is a really highly unexpected choice. In other words, if I had turned you loose in the first century and you went around trying to figure out, trying to create a list of the most likely candidates to become the mother of the Son of God, Mary would not have made your list. She was a first century Jewish peasant slave to the Roman Empire from Nazareth of all places, which doesn't mean anything to us, but even in her own day, in her own day, even her own people, because she was from Nazareth, would have looked down on her. Not on the list. Much better than the list, guys. What does that tell you? Probably a thousand things, but take this home. It tells you that God conceives his son in the most unlikely people. It's a beautiful thought. And of course, you know by now that God has already come to Joseph, and he's convinced him to go ahead and go through with his marriage to Mary, who's turned up pregnant during their betrothal period. Certainly that was not on his Christmas list. I don't see him writing out, Dear Santa, please allow my betrothed to turn up pregnant with somebody else's child. That would be great. No, that wouldn't be great. That would be gut-wrenching. That would be awful. So it's not on his list, but it's so much more wonderful than anything on his list. The child is the king of heaven. The child is the son of God. Can you imagine the privilege of being that man? It's overwhelming. It's amazing. And of course, by now, Jesus has been born, and he's been born where? Bethlehem. But where in Bethlehem? Because again, if I turned you loose in Bethlehem and I said, okay, look, you've got to pick out a place for the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords to be born in Bethlehem. I realize it's a small town, but do your best. Stable would not be on the list, would it? Why? Because a stable is dark, a stable is dirty, a stable is dusty, a stable has manure, if I can just put it plainly. A stable has flies, a stable has bugs, a stable has animals, a stable is not fit for the birth of any child, much less the Christ child, and yet a stable it is. Not on the list, much better. Why is it much better? Because that stable is a perfect picture of my heart. And if I may be so bold, of yours too. What do you learn from that? That's the kind of place that God is pleased to have his son born. Lastly, by now, if you've been following along, you know that the angels have declared the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And of course, they declared his birth to all of the religious and social and cultural elites of his day. No. No to the shepherds. Fascinating. Again, if I sent you out and you did a little poll, what you would have discovered in that day, and of course you didn't know this when you agreed to be a shepherd in the Christmas play way back in the day, but what you would have discovered is in that day, the shepherds' consensus was, were pretty much the biggest lowlifes around. The most disreputable group you were likely to find 
Not on the list, guys. Not on the list. But so much better than the list. Because here's the deal. You're looking at a shepherd. And I'm not alone tonight. You know, the reality is by God's standards, we are all of us one big group of shepherds. And here's why. Because God is the judge. His standard gets to rule, does it not? You know what his standard is? Stunning. It's be perfect, even as, just in case you're wondering, I, the holy, holy, holy God, am perfect. So I'm feeling like a shepherd at this point. But here's the wonderful thing. The shepherds wouldn't have been on our list. And yet God has the birth of the Savior declared to them, to me, to you. It's, it's far better than anything on the list. So we pick up our story tonight in Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 22, where Luke tells us this, he says, And when the time came for their purification, the birth has occurred, according to the law of Moses, they, Joseph and Mary, brought him, the newly born baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem, to the temple is the idea, to present him to the Lord, for as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they went as well to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And it's Christmas Eve, and I'm not going to unpack all of that tonight. But what I want you to know is that what they're doing here is what every good, pious, young parents of a firstborn son would do. They would take their firstborn son up into the temple, and they would offer their son to the Lord, and then they would offer sacrifices as well. It's what happens next that I want you to see. I want you to meet a very important guy. They're in the temple, and now, Luke says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name It was Simeon. There he is. And look at the bio on this guy. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's waiting for God's deliverer. He's waiting for Jesus Christ. And he has his list, just like all the rest of us. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not what? That he wouldn't die? No, but it would have been easy to say that. That he would not see death. Until what? He had met the... No until he had seen the Lord's Christ. How is Luke describing this guy to us? He's describing him as a man who sees. And you're like, well, what does he see? He sees what almost no one else could yet see at this point in the story of the life of Jesus. He sees what is hidden from everyone else in that moment. He sees who Jesus really is. And he sees what Jesus really came to do. And that's important because just like all of us tonight, those folks had their list. They had a list for who they wanted Jesus to be and for what they wanted Jesus to do for them. But here's the thing about Christmas. You know, you can make your list, but you don't know what you're really going to get until it actually arrives. And that which is hidden has been revealed. And what Luke is trying to tell us about this man Simeon is it has been revealed To him, and what he sees is very different from what's on everybody's list. But it's infinitely better. Because your heavenly Father knows better than you and I do what we most need and, well, what will most thrill the heart that he's made in each one of us. And he gives us that, even if it's not on our list, 
in Jesus and his greater wisdom and grace. And so Luke says that Simeon came in the spirit into the temple, and when Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, as any other pious parents would do, Simeon singled them out. He knows who they are by God's grace. And he took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes. He's a man of sight, have seen your salvation, but salvation from what? Because again, they all had a list. Everyone in his day wanted Jesus to gather up an army and to ride in on his horse and to run off the Romans. That was their list. That's who they wanted him to be. That's what they wanted him to do. And you got to pause, even though it's Christmas Eve, and ask yourself, hey, um, what do I want Jesus to do for me? What would you say to that? I think a lot of us here tonight would say, you know what, I'd really like for Jesus to fix my marriage. And, but what we'd mean by that is, I really want for Jesus to fix that person to whom I'm married. I think a lot of us would like for Jesus to fix our children, but leave us alone as parents, or fix our parents, but leave us alone as children. I think for many of us would like Jesus to fill us with the joy of his presence, but not to require us to spend any time in his presence. I think that we'd love for him to fill our bank accounts and leave our bank accounts alone. I think we'd like for him to give us long lives, meaning a whole lot of time in this life, and then not ask us for any of our time. In Simeon's day, they wanted Jesus to fulfill their political ambitions. Today, I think we'd like for Jesus to fulfill our personal ambitions, and neither they nor we get what's on our list in Christ, and that's a good thing. Because what we get instead is something and someone so very much better. Simeon, who sees all of this, says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And now notice what he calls Jesus, because it's really significant. He calls him a light. And why is that important? Because what does light do, guys? Light allows you to see what is otherwise hidden in darkness. And again, if you have kids, particularly a boy, and he's into Legos, you've already learned this. Because here's what happens. Legos end up where? All over the floor. Everywhere. And when you come walking into his room in the dark, what do you learn? You learn that Legos are the single sharpest objects in the universe. (laughs) What's so funny? No, really. I mean, they are like, oh. But when you walk into the same room with the lights on, what do you learn? You learn the room's a mess. That's it. Christ is a light. Do you know how God works? By His Spirit, through His Word, He takes the light of Christ, sometimes when we are least expecting it, and He shines it into our hearts. And then do you know what we learn? We learn that our heart is a stable, and that by God's standard, we are, well, shepherds, and that there are all kinds of Legos lying all over the floor. And we begin to see and understand why we walk through life and so much pain. So Simeon calls Jesus a light for revelation. That's what light does. 
to the Gentiles, not just to the Jewish people, but to anyone who comes to him in faith and for glory to your people, Israel. And then Luke says, and his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, they're like blown away. They're marveling at what he's saying and, and, and they marvel at what's said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed. And now notice the order. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. You know, people don't like it sometimes when they don't get what's on their list. Even if it's cute. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, he says to Mary, as you watch your son die on a cross for his people so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's what light does. But what grabs me in that statement is this idea of falling and rising. We in this life don't talk about things falling and rising. We talk about things rising and falling. You know, I mean, if I gave you a list and said, tell me about things that fall and rise, eh, not much to put on there. If I came to you and said, all right, tell me about things that rise and fall, you'd have all kinds of things. Waves on the sea rise and fall. Plants in the field rise and fall. Trees in the forest rise and fall. Nations and empires rise and fall. And people too rise and fall. We rise in life with all kinds of promise and expectations and woo, and it's wonderful and we fall in sin. And ultimately, we fall in death. But not the Lord. His is a different pattern. He's not on that list. See, he's born as one of us to live the good as God life that none of us have lived. Then what does he do? He takes upon himself our sin and he falls willingly in death and then rises in life. He defeats our sin and he gains eternal life for us, falling and rising so that those of us who are moving through life and, I don't know, maybe quite unexpectedly encounter the light that is Christ and it's shown into our hearts and we realize, good grief, it's a stable in here. Who knew? You know what? By God's standard, perfection, I'm a shepherd. A lot of Legos on the floor. For those of us who get that and who fall before Him, in faith and in repentance, asking for forgiveness in life, what do we get to then do? We get to rise in joy and in forgiveness and with eternal life. That's a glorious thought. That's an amazing thing. And look, you know, I don't know what was on your list when you came in tonight, but I do know this. You can make your list, but you never really know what you're going to get until it arrives, right? until it's revealed. Exactly. He gets it. You never really know what you're going to get until it arrives. And here's the deal, what you get in Jesus, whether it's on your list or not, man, it's just so much better. So Jesus is who I give to you tonight. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us to ourselves, that you've not abandoned us in our struggles, that you've not forsaken us, that we have, frankly, forsaken you. 
Lord, that you've not turned your back on us, but that you came to rescue us. That you sent our hero named Christ, God made man to live the life we haven't lived, and yet that in truth you require of us to stand in your presence. We must be holy even as you are holy, perfect even as you are perfect. And truthfully, we've got a lot of Legos to account for. God, we thank you for this Savior, this God-man who as a man died also for humanity, for humankind, for man, male, and female who come to him and fall before him, giving to him our sin and ourselves and receiving from him and rising from our knees with forgiveness and life. I pray that be our experience this night. We pray that for your glory and for the joy of your people. Amen.